Imagine, if you will, hopping on a train to a rural village in the middle of nowhere. No job, no house, and you're greeted by the local shopkeeper who says, Hey, I have an empty house. Here, take it. You can, you can do some work for me and pay me back for it, and then it'll be yours. You spend your time delivering items, planting flowers, catching bugs, fishing, socializing with the other villagers, and just living life in the middle of nowhere and working your way out of debt. In many ways, it sounds like paradise. In others, it sounds just like real life. Either way, it's Animal Crossing. It's life, but somewhere else. And it's been enjoyed by millions of gamers throughout the world since its inception in 2001. And today we're going to talk about it. So here we are once again, looking at work as a video game as we take yet another 9 to 5 trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 55th episode of our video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look back at one title relevant to the current week in gaming history, and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world in its inspiration, or what it gave back to it in its legacy. Today, we're looking back at the beginning of the Animal Crossing series, which was introduced to North American audiences on September 16th, 2002. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who has been on the run from Tom Nook for as long as I've known him, my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, what's it like being up to your eyeballs in debt? Well, Dave... I just got to learn how to play the stock market and I'll be perfectly fine. The stock market. I forgot about the stock market. (laughs) Nobody's fine playing the stock market. Actually, isn't the modern equivalent the stonk market? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. How are you? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Doing good. Ready to... Ready to knock off another episode. It's, uh, you know, last week we tried something new because I really still hadn't gotten back to normal after Hurricane Ida. And to be frank, things are still not back to normal. But I was able to cobble together an episode of our podcast with the research and everything that needed to be done. And so here we are, and I'm ready to do an episode. So with that being said... Uh, what you've been playing in the last week? This week has been Rocket League and Diablo. Uh, I did actually get a small amount of Super Mario All-Stars in over the weekend and Breath of the Wild, but very, very little time put into those. Awesome. How about yourself? Awesome. Um, oh, yes. Ghost of Tsushima. You know, I don't know if I actually had time to play that this week. Um... I had time to play Diablo, and we played some Rocket League, but I don't really think I've done any gaming outside of those usual suspects uh, at all. Honestly, I I can't recall. I can't recall doing it at all. So wow, I know, I know. It's just been a week. It's been a week. So, well, today we're looking at Animal Crossing, and for Animal Crossing, 
we're actually going to talk about the history of one of Nintendo's development studios that we haven't discussed before. Now, we've looked at Nintendo R&D 1, which was doing their arcade titles like Donkey Kong. And we've looked at Nintendo R&D 2, which was the studio that ended up doing uh, their handheld stuff, like, uh, you know, the, the Super Mario Land series. But we have yet to talk about uh, Nintendo R&D 4, which is the studio that ended up developing Animal Crossing. So well, we're just skipping over the fact that there's an R&D 3? We are. We will get to an R&D 3 when an R&D 3 becomes relevant, but it's not relevant at the moment. So Animal Crossing was actually developed by Nintendo EAD, which stands for Nintendo Entertainment Analysis and Development. Uh, It's the modern equivalent of what was formerly known as Nintendo R&D 4, which at one point was the largest software development decision within Nintendo as a company. R&D 4 was preceded by the creative department, it was called, which was basically a team of designers that all had a background in art who are responsible for many different tasks. Among the notable people who came out of the creative department were people that we know and love, like Shigeru, Shigeru Miyamoto and Takashi Tezuka, uh, who I believe was on your development dream team, wasn't he? Didn't I believe so? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When we talked about uh, hmm. t- talked about. Uh... Chrono Trigger. We talked about development dream teams, and Tezuka was on yours. So, so Nintendo R and D four was created by Nintendo, and it was created in the wake of Donkey Kong's commercial success. And it was basically a development department that would be creating titles for dedicated consoles. Because it was about that time afterwards that Nintendo was developing the Famicom or Family Computer System, and they needed a studio that was going to create titles for the the Famicom, or as it became known in the United States, the NES. Um, some of the team that worked on Donkey Kong uh, from Nintendo R&D 1 would come over to R&D 4, uh, while others, of course, would stay in R&D 1. You see, at the time, R&D 1's primary focus was arcade titles, but as that market dwindled, they would join R&D 2 to kind of focus on the emerging handheld market and develop titles for the Game Boy, which we've... we've, we've Again, Super Mario Land, we've kind of talked about that. So as a result, Nintendo R&D 4 would become the lead software developer for all of Nintendo's home video game consoles. And they started out here developing titles for, like I said, the Famicom and Nintendo Entertainment System. Now, one of the first games developed by the R&D 4 department was Mario Brothers in 1983, which was designed and directed by Shigeru Miyamoto. Um, at the time, though, that department was unable to program the game because they were they, they were a very inexperienced team. So they designed it, but they had to count on assistance from uh, Gunpei Yokoi, who we've talked about, and the R&D1 department to do the programming. Their first complete self-developed game, so the game that was designed, programmed, done all in-house in R&D4, was... Super Mario Brothers, which, as we all know, was released with the Nintendo Entertainment System. It was a sequel to Mario Brothers and was pretty much, I mean, that that was it. That's what that that, that was the hook for the NES. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And a great hook it was. <laughs> I mean, everybody knows Super Mario Brothers. That was the game. And that was it. That was where R&D, that was their first complete self-developed game. Um, they would go on during the Nintendo and Super Nintendo eras to develop some of Nintendo's most iconic franchises, 
They worked on all the Super Mario Brothers for the NES. They worked on the Super Mario World series, which we're going to cover later in the year for the SNES. They worked on The Legend of Zelda for NES and SNES, all those games. They worked on Star Fox. They worked on F-Zero. And then there's other not franchises that they had their hands in. They did Ice Hockey. They did Pilot Wings. They did Sim City, And they worked on the first Super Mario Kart as well. So pretty much if it's one of those really core, iconic Nintendo franchises, Nintendo Research and Development 4 uh, did it. That was that was what they did. So they had their hand in absolutely everything, you know, pretty impressive list of accolades they have there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So in the midst of all this development in 1989, the R&D4 department was spun off and made into its own division, which was named the Nintendo Entertainment Analysis and Development. And the EAD was made up of two departments. There was the Software Development Department, which was led by Shigeru Miyamoto, uh, who I feel really at this point needs no introduction. I mean, that man is probably one of the most recognizable video game figures in the face of the earth. Basically, if you're not in the know, because I know some people listen to this that aren't video game nuts, I found out. Uh, this is the creator of Mario, for instance, Donkey Kong, Mario, a whole bunch of franchises. Uh, on the other end of the EAD was the technology development department, which was focused on programming and development tools. So the technology department would work on building tools that would help make development easier for the actual game designing teams. And they would also work on the technology aspect, such as they were involved in the creation of the FX chip uh, later on with the Super Nintendo. As the years would move on, they would continue working on all of these iconic series through all the newer console generations. So, you know, Mario 64 and Mario Sunshine and, and, and Mario to the modern day. Same thing with all the Zeldas. They R&D4 would become involved in all of that. And then they would also put under their belt the Pikmin series, the Wii series. So your, your Wii Sports, your Wii Play, your Wii Fit, Wii Music. That was all R&D4. And of course, the topic of today's episode, which is the Animal Crossing series. So here we are. Whew. I know, right? A lot of background. A lot of background. Well, I hadn't gotten to talk about R&D4. You know, I, you're right. We got to do one, two. Three is the three is the stepchild. We'll cover three at some point, but I I really never got to talk about R and D four, so it's always fun to look at the the background of another uh, of another one. And this is like the development studio, though. You, you you know what I mean? Like this is this is what we consider a Nintendo a Nintendo game, which pretty much made by R and D four. I it was funny because as I was researching it, Rob. I was really surprised that we hadn't actually stumbled across R&D 4, but every title we've really done by Nintendo beforehand has either been an R&D 2 or an R&D 1 title before they split into this. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And so I like I scratched my head. I was like, R&D 4? How could we have not talked about R&D 4? Like, that's the studio, you know? But here we are. So Animal Crossing is the creation of two people. There's Katsuya Iguchi and there is Hasashi Nogami. So Nogami and Iguchi. Iguchi is... Animal Crossing is really Iguchi's brainchild, okay? So let's talk about Katsuya Iguchi for a second because we've never really stumbled across him. 
So Gucci started working at Nintendo in 1986 and first spent some time doing promotional artwork for Super Mario Bros. 3. He would eventually get his first shot directing a game in 1993 when he was given the opportunity to direct Star Fox. Rob, are you a Star Fox fan? I love Star Fox 64. Yep, absolutely. It's a great game. That's a great series. It's a. I don't know why they haven't redone it. Couldn't tell you, but they need to get on I, it. I know. So Aguchi would later direct Wave Race 64, and he was also the chief designer on Yoshi's Story. So after Yoshi's Story, a bunch of the development team would come back together to create Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing was inspired by Aguchi's experiences as a 21-year-old graduate because he had made the decision to move from where he had grown up and studied in Chibi, Chiba, sorry, Shiba, to Nintendo's HQ in Kyoto. Did I get those right? I got those right. And I'm a butcher names. I'm always butchering names, right? And every time I do it, and every time I do it, I say, I butchered names. So in an interview with Edge, Aguchi described Animal Crossing as featuring three distinct themes. They were family, friendship, and community. So he went on to say that the reason he wanted to investigate these three themes was because he was so lonely when he arrived in Kyoto. Being there, he realized that by moving so far away from friends and family, that being close to them and being able to spend time with them and talk to them and play with them was, as he called it, a great and important thing. Uh, Same, Aguchi, just as a side note. Uh, While there, he wondered for a long time whether or not there'd be a way to recreate the feeling of being close to people, and this concept became the basis for Animal Crossing. Now, Animal Crossing was originally planned to be released for the 64DD or 64 disk drive, which we've talked about before. Uh, it was a, a, a peripheral that Nintendo did briefly that had only a handful of games, I think 12 or 13, and then it was it was kind of canceled. But it was it was the technology of the 64DD that really allowed them to believe that they could make Animal Crossing the way they wanted. Uh, the DD had mass storage because it was a disk drive, and it was one of the first systems to have a real-time clock built in and as we're going to talk about in a moment, this real-time clock was the piece of technology that you know led to what became one of the unique concepts of Animal Crossing and led them to believe that they create this vision. As we know, however, the DD was delayed and then it was eventually canceled. And so the game was moved to an N64 game pack that contained a real-time clock. Now... This working in real time led to one of the more interesting features of Animal Crossing, which Animal Crossing is a persistent village that exists whether you're there or not. In an interview with Gamasutra, Iguchi described his desire to create a space where he and his family could interact more, even when they weren't playing together. So this is this concept of a persistent village. This came about because he was working long hours and frequently getting home late. And when he would get home, they'd be playing games. And it dawned on him at one point that they were all playing games. His family and he both were playing games, but not actually playing together. And so he sought a gaming experience where even though they weren't playing at the same time, they could be sharing things together. And from this evolved the idea of a persistent village. As he saw it, he really wanted to create a game that the kids could play after school and he could play at home at night and he could kind of still be a part of what they were doing while he he wasn't around. Make sense? That it does. You know, it's funny that we think about that because the concept of persistent gaming worlds and stuff like that, like 
that's that's a thing still like that's a that's a that's a how do i put it um that's a major thing like we take that for granted right you get what i'm saying yeah we have a lot of persistent worlds nowadays you know the mmorpgs created things like wow and we all play games like minecraft or i don't know terraria or arc where you can create your own private servers and have these persistent worlds but at the time Back in, you know, 2001, 2002, when this came out, online gaming was still kind of a a non-existent thing. This is the N64 and GameCube era, because the GameCube was late 2001, if I remember correctly. And the GameCube, you know, um, online gaming was just not not really a thing uh, at the time. Not, Not like it is now, I guess is the point. The concept of Persistent Village was... It was a novelty at the time, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It was a novelty at the time. Um, I was going to ask you if you remember 2001, but you were still kind of, what, six at that point? that point. Yeah, so, no. <laughs> oh, brother. So, like I said, Aguchi worked on Animal Crossing alongside Hisashi Nogami, and kind of both of them are still involved in the Animal Crossing to this series. And then the third... A uh, person that worked on this game was Mario co-creator Takashi Tezuka. And like I said, we, we've talked about Tezuka. Tezuka is the co-creator of Mario. He, he's, he's, he's a prominent figure. He's a prominent figure in Nintendo. And like, and like I said, I, he was on your dream team. I forgot who else was on your dream team. Wasn't the Dragon Ball guy on your dream team too? Him and the Dragon Ball guy? Yeah, Toriyama. Yeah, Toriyama. So they took all these concepts, the family, the friendship, the community, and the persistent village. And in, in, in light of this, you know, with this gaming philosophy, they created the first in the Animal Crossing series, or as it was called in its original translation, Animal Forest. It wasn't even Animal Crossing to begin with. It was the Butsu no Mori, which translates loosely to Animal Forest. Uh, and that was released for the Nintendo 64 in Japan in April 2001. Um, it was the last game released for the Nintendo 64. It was the second to last. It was the last game that Nintendo itself released for the N64. And it was the second to last title released for the N64 period in Japan itself. And that's that's something I didn't know. I didn't I didn't realize that this came so late in the N64 era, uh, but it was it was their last N64. If I'm being honest, I didn't realize that it came out in the N64 era. I thought it started <laughs> with handheld. Well, nope. It's funny you say that because it came out in April on the N64 and then the GameCube was a 2001, you know, and so it was ported over to the GameCube and it was released on, in Japan on the GameCube on December 14th, 2001. And when they brought it over to the GameCube, they were able to add a bunch of features that had to be cut from the N64 version because of the storage, they had more storage to work with, and the GameCube had a built-in clock, so the N64 version depended on a game clock on the cartridge itself, and the the GameCube version could depend on the GameCube's built-in clock, so they were able to design things a little bit different. It saved you from having to worry about the batteries going out. That too. That too. Soon after releasing it in Japan, they began to localize it for North American release, Everywhere else but Japan, well, basically, when it was localized, its title was changed to Animal Crossing. Now, when they did this, they had thousands of lines that needed to be te- thousands of lines of text that needed to be translated. 
They had to add holidays that Japan didn't have, you know, North American holidays like Thanksgiving or Fourth of July. They had to add items that would be recognized by audiences outside of Japan. And this was a big, big process, big project, big project. It took them about six months to translate all of this text and data and add this stuff. And at the time, it it was Nintendo's largest translation project. When they did it, Nintendo's Japanese leadership, they were so impressed with all the American content added back into the game that they went back and had it all added to the Japanese version, and they released Debotsu no Mori E+, if I remember correctly, yet another version of the game in Japan. So Japan has three versions of the original Animal Crossing game, whereas here in North America, we only have the one GameCube release of the original Animal Crossing. So a little fun fact. Fair. <laughs> well, it's funny to think that there's some pared down versions of the game somewhere. Like, I I didn't remember that it was an N64 game because it never was in North America. You know, like, it came to the GameCube. I had the first one on GameCube. You know, I, I remember playing it in college. Yeah, I remember playing it in the dorm. So, so let's talk about Animal Crossing, Rob, because I... I I'm an Animal Crossing fan, and you are too, correct? I've played a little bit of this. <laughs> have you played the original Animal Crossing? I have not. The only one I have played in the series is New Horizons. Seriously? You've never Seriously. played anything before New Horizons? Nope. I thought that you were f- more familiar with the series than that. Nope, not a bit. Well, that's okay. That's okay, because the core concept of Animal Crossing hasn't really changed over the years, so you still have plenty to add to it, so figured as much for those of you who've never played animal crossing in case you've been living under a rock for you know the last however many years this has been 20 years holy crap 20 years <laughs> yep. animal crossing is an open-ended game in which you move into a village populated with and i like this word that's why i kept it big word anthropomorphic animals so anthropomorphic uh the concept of anthropomorphism is where human traits are given to non-humans. So in this case, they're basically animals who walk, talk, and generally act like humans. Okay, so big fancy word means something simple. Animal Crossing is frequently called a social simulation game. Nintendo has given it the title of a communication game. Well, let's pause and talk about that for a second. Rob, social simulation or communication game? What do you think? Or or both. (laughs) Either or. How do you feel about those... I mean, I'll so open-ended game. I think is a fair statement, right? Because because one of the things for Animal Crossing is you have no goals whatsoever. Okay, you're free to kinda. Well, you don't have to. We'll talk about that in a second. But you don't have to do anything. Is the point? So we can both agree on open-ended. Fair enough. Yeah, that's fair. All right. So let's talk for a moment about the social simulation part. Is Animal Crossing a social simulation? I mean, I suppose that if you played it in that manner, it can be Uh, like for me myself. I didn't really talk to my other islanders all that much. And I very seldomly, as in only a couple of times, I've even played the multiplayer. So for me, it was just more work and pay off debt. I gotcha. So 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 communication game. Do you feel it's a communication game? Yeah, I see how it can be. All right. So those are maybes, but we can we can agree that it's an open-ended game. Okay. 
So back to back to it. So in Animal Crossing, you as your character lives, you live your life in, in the first one. It was a rural village with little to no plot or mandatory tasks. So basically the way the game starts is you assume the role as a new resident of town. The game starts out with you on a train. You meet a cat named Rover and he asks you a number of questions. And based on those questions, your gender and your looks are assigned and then you get to Animal Crossing, which is the, the name of the game and the name of the town, right? Mm-hmm. You come to Animal Crossing and you have no job, no anything. And so you meet Tom Nook. Tom Nook is the owner of the local town store. And he gives you your first house and a debt, your mortgage of it's 19,800 bills. I don't know why I remember that, but I know that's the number. Uh, and, and, and you go, you go from there. We made fun of Tom Nook in the beginning of this. So let's talk about Tom Nook, right? Okay. Are you a fan of Tom Nook? Uh, he's kind of annoying. He's everybody's favorite loan shark. That's what Tom Nook is. Except I don't, I don't think he takes your knees out from under you and he loans you money without like, I, I don't think there's any interest to his loans. Maybe it's there. They never really tell you. Hey, this is a fifteen thousand dollar house, and I'm charging you forty eight hundred dollars for, uh, for the loan. They just say, "Hey, here's your house. Here's your loan. Pay it off." You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. So, how do you pay off your debt? What what kinds of things? Uh, and look, I've played both the original and New Horizons, so I can tell you what's different. Uh, but a lot of the basics are the same. So, what kind of stuff can you do to pay off your debt? To it's still Tom Nook and New Horizons. What do you like to do, Rob? Uh, I go around and collect things. Like what? I collect fruits because they sell well. I collect bugs because it's cool to get to the museum and the ones that I already have sell well. Uh, I collect fish. Same reason, museum and they sell well. And uh, like sticks and rocks and iron. Just stuff to build tools to collect more stuff. Yep. Yeah, so the crafting was new to New Horizons. In the past, you would buy your tools, but some of the basics have been the same. You could pick fruit off trees and sell it back to Tom Nook. You could weed and sell the weeds. You could find flowers and sell the flowers. You could go fishing and sell the fish. You could catch bugs. Um, So all that is still the same. And the original Tom Nook would also give you tasks such as deliver this gift to this resident uh, and he would pay you to do that so there were some there was some bas- basically delivery tasks that's what it was all the time a lot of the core stuff is the same so you said you like to collect stuff are you a museum fan i give a lot of the stuff that i haven't already to the museum although admittedly i haven't gone back and looked at a lot of it i was kind of just waiting till i could get most of it filled up gotcha so in every animal crossing there's a town museum And in the original, it was fish, bugs, and paintings. You could donate to the museum, and then you could go and look at your museum. So I like collecting things in video games, so the museum has always appealed to me. And so, you know, getting filling in all the empty spaces, because there's a certain number of spaces to tell you if you found everything, was always the fun part of getting all the stuff. And that's kind of still the case with the new one, since we've been talking a little bit about New Horizons that's yours. I'll tell you, I mean... Honestly, every museum has gotten better and better because as the technology has gotten better, Animal Crossing games have gotten bigger and better too. 
Um, so that's been a really big thing. But yeah, so you can do the museum. So you have all this stuff that you're doing. You know, you you deliver 10,000 gifts to town residents and you give him 10,000 plants and you catch a, a million bugs. And finally, you get to the point where you, you know, 19,800 bells. You go to Tom Nook and you say, here, sir, here's your 20,000 ish bells. Rob, what typically happens after that? Uh, once you pay it off, he upgrades your house again and charges you even more money. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. So Tom Nook is the perpetual cycle of debt. Let's be honest here. Every time you pay off your, your debt to him, you get a house expansion and then you get charged the amount of the construction. So you get a construction loan and uh, you spend time doing that. And each time your house gets bigger and bigger and bigger and you can put more stuff in it, you know, because you can direct the house, d- direct, d- d- decorate the house, and 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 then you have to pay off a new debt. It is, uh, it is a vicious cycle. If I remember correctly, there were seven or eight upgrades in the original Animal Crossing. So, like I said, on top of that, you could decorate the house. Rob, do you put much stock into house decorating in your Animal Crossing? I started to, but without having a lot of stuff in my game, because I only have like 40 hours, so I didn't get a whole lot of stuff to go into there, but I did get some decorating going on here and there. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That's great. You decorate your house, and then the academy, uh, there's like a designer academy, I can't remember the name for the life of me right now, I'm having a brain fart, but there's a can- academy academy that rates your house like a you know a a a plus b b plus c c plus on how well you're decorated you know for style and color and matching and all fun stuff so there was an aspect decorating the house and then there was the able sisters clothing shop where you could buy different pieces of clothing and um and and decorate your character so there's a lot of customization that goes into animal crossing right right okay and that's the fun for a lot of people, you know, um, you you get to you, you get to make it yours. It's your house with your decor. It's your player with your clothes. You know, you could uh, you know, they took this to the nth degree with the new one because you can actually modify the landscape and, and design your it's an island in the newest one. But you, you can you can drastically design your island to make it look like in the original. You could really make your the village yours you could really make the village yours. Now let's go back to the communication or social simulator. You start out in the original with six villagers. Now these villagers, you can go up to and talk to, you can crack jokes with, you can write them letters. um, You can build relationships with all your fellow villagers. And as you go up with your, you, you make the, as you make the rural village prettier, more people want to come and live there. So you start out with six and you can end up with 15 different villagers, all that you can interact with and give, give gifts to and get gifts from and celebrate holidays with and so on and so forth. On top of this, there was the we talked about the persistent village and the multiplayer aspect. In the original Animal Crossing, you could have four separate human players that each had their own house in this village because you could only have one village at a time. That was a limitation of the old one. And these players could all play the game at different times. Now you interact by obviously 
I could go into, if you weren't there, Rob, you know, we both had a house in the same village. I could go into your house and check out your stuff. And I could also send you letters and I can send you gifts. And that's pretty much how we all interacted together. And of course, the changes that you made to the island and to your house, we could see. And that's the concept that Aguchi talked about where he wanted to create this persistent thing. You know, so if the kids got home from school and they dug up all the trees and cleared out a piece of land and then went to bed. When Aguchi could get home from work, he'd come to an island with a, a basically an open field. You know what I mean? Right. And that was cool. I remember that in the first time because there weren't really games like that. And we talk a lot about things that we take for granted nowadays, and that's definitely one of them. But at the time, I thought that it was the coolest concept for a persistent world you know it's fun to play with other people and this was about as close to playing with other people as we could get to at the time so a couple other fun little things about this uh about this version animal crossing in the original animal crossing there were nintendo systems hidden everywhere these nintendo systems had actually playable versions of classic nintendo games on them so uh among the games that you could play were balloon fight baseball Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., uh, Donkey Kong Jr. Math, Donkey Kong 3, Excite Bite, Golf, Pinball, Punch-Out, Soccer, Tennis, and Warrior Wario's Woods. Now, when you start out, you had two of these NES systems, and the rest you could kind of find by getting them as gifts from villagers and stuff like that. Um, but they actually had really like playable versions of all these NES games built into the original Animal Crossing, which is kind of cool, actually. Yeah, it is. I remember wanting to collect all of them because I could go back and play classic NES games on my GameCube. And back then, the concept of emulation was the novel novelty, too. You know, we, we that's it. The concept of emulation was a novelty. So being able to play classic games on my GameCube was, was super cool. Now, now, there were later two more games that were released through e-reader cards in the States, and they were Ice Climber and Mario Brothers. And then as a fun fact... The Legend of Zelda exists in the game's code, but it's not accessible by any normal means. So they've only been able to find it when they've dumped the game on ROMs and, and modified it um, and modified it. But Legend of Zelda is in there, too. Yeah. And then the Game Boy Advance could also hook up to the GameCube. So there was the called the link. It was the Advance link, right? And you could link your Game Boy Advance to your GameCube and play those NES games on your Game Boy Advance. So it turned your Game Boy Advanced into like a little NES emulator, which again, super cool novelty at the time, right? Um, you could also link the actual game to your Advanced and it would bring you over to an island on your Game Boy. And that island had a special like villager that was specific to, to your Game Boy Advance island and coconuts. And that was the only way to get coconuts as a fruit was by linking your Game Boy Advance and visiting the island that was specific to that part of the game. So they kind of did something cool with that too. But uh, yeah, so that's Animal Crossing. That's fishing and bug catching. We didn't really talk about bug catching. We might have talked about bug catching and fruit stuff. And it sounds like a really boring game, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but it's not. I mean, it's not, you know, it's funny. It, it's just not. So let's talk about that, but let's pause that thought for a second. So you guys have heard me blab on for uh, quite a while now, but this is about the time that I like to 
give you perspective from other people. So as normal, we pull critic reviews and we pull user reviews uh, just to kind of give you a different perspective on the game. So, uh, Rob, you ready to pull out these critic reviews and kind of gain another insight into this? Sure thing, Dave. All right. So what do we got? First up, we have Game Informer, who says the Animal Crossing doesn't sound like it should be any fun. You pay off your mortgage, pick up some furniture, go fishing, gather pears, dig up a cornucopia of items, and sell your goods for fun and profit. That's the brunt of the game, but I can't stress enough that it's fun. Your neighbors will react really realistically to your every move. For example, Bessie would make fun of me mercis- mercilessly for not showing up to visit until evening. You can certainly keep everyone up past 3 a.m., but don't expect a lot of town activity the next morning. They're all sleeping because you pestered them into the night. Sadly, this game will suffer for two reasons. The graphics are less than mind-blowing, and most people will see this as a niche niche title. It's like a simple Sims, but it's a lot of fun. I swear. I think it's funny that back then, like, this game will suffer for two reasons. Graphics are less than my blowing, and most people will see this as a niche title. Niche title. Niche, niche, whichever. Um, and let's let's look at the now, right? So Animal Crossing New Horizons releases in March of 2020, right as all of us are locked down in our homes, and becomes the first digital title to reach, I think, 5 million downloads in its first month, or something like that. Like, it's basically the most downloaded title, one of the most downloaded titles, digital sales of 2020. Yeah, niche title, my ass, you know? Absolutely. All right, so what did GameSpot have to say? GameSpot had to say that in a market dominated by action games, Nintendo has released the quiet, happy, and group-oriented Animal Crossing. Though not a challenging game by any means, nor one with any sort of plot or tension to draw the player, Animal Crossing more than makes up for that with its sheer number of activities and good sense of humor that is both kid-safe and capable of making older kids and adults snicker. The premise is simple. Animal Crossing is a role-playing style game where you play as a human leaving home to make your way in the countryside village of the same name as the game's title. When you arrive, you have no money and no place to live. The owner of the general store loans you a house. Where the game goes from there is completely up to you. There's no time limit to repaying the loan, and the game doesn't push you towards any particular action. The goal of the game, simply put, is simply to live in the village and amuse yourself. Animal Crossing's look and feel combined with the easy sandbox-style activities are an insurmountable obstacle for those who thrive exclusively on Twitch games. At its heart, Animal Crossing is very much a game for a family or someone looking for a change of pace, and for that audience... It proves an enjoyable, relaxing experience with a long lifespan. I think it's funny that initially with these initial reviews and look, Animal Crossing got good reviews across the board. It's not like anyone was bashing it or saying that it wasn't going to be a good game, but they all consistently said that it was going to be a very t- a title that was specific to a very specific audience of gamers. And that at a time when like, first-person shooters and action games were all the rage it wasn't going to be very popular and yet here we are like it is popular in fact remember in march 2020 that it came out the same day as doom and they did that little crossover you know you don't remember you don't remember so like doom the new doom and 
Animal Crossing came out the same day. And so it became like the fandoms of these two like did it together. So you can go online right now and you can see a picture of, you know, that iconic Doom where like the Doom guy is standing on a, a pile of bodies with his gun point in the air. That iconic yeah. picture. There's one with Isabella, who's one of the, the more notable residents of Animal Crossing, uh, doing the same thing. And then there's other things where they brought the Doom guy in Animal Crossing because these the audiences for these two inter inter like they crossed a lot more than people realize. And so both these fandoms were like, hey, we're coming out the same day. Let's show love for one another. And it was a kind of a cool crossing because they couldn't be more different. Right. Doom is the epitome of the, you know, fast, twitchy um gory you know it is it's just fast and gory whereas i mean animal crossing is the opposite end of the spectrum and yet here we are they're bestie friends so that's a very interesting thing i actually had no idea bestie bestie friends look it up true story it was really cute and fun when it was happening so well those are a few critic reviews now i like to move on to user reviews where i like to pull some reviews online that tell me what you as gamers of the game feel about animal crossing. So Rob, why don't you take it away again and tell us uh, what our users think? All right. First up, we have tracer on Moby games who calls animal crossing the most adult game on the GameCube. He says that it's good and that it's a game in which you basically live. You have a house, you decorate it how you want, you dress how you want, offend people how you want, and you plant flowers where you want. The sheer amount of things that there are to do simply boggles the mind. Fishing, shopping, designing clothes, running errands, collecting furniture, and the list goes on. It's not perfect, to be honest, but there's not much about it I don't like. Furthermore, the game looks childish, but it's very adult. Having said that, children can play it, but there are jokes, sexual references, and etc. that will have adults laughing. This is probably Nintendo at its finest, doing something original and not really broadcasting it. Do you think the modern one, because you played New Horizons, had had the same concept, had like jokes and innuendos built into it? I mean, I didn't really talk to a whole lot of the villagers, so I haven't seen much of that myself. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, all right, well, uh, let's take the next one. I pulled a few other reviews that, you know, because all we've done is is sit here and, and gloat about the game and, and gush about it. Because, I mean, I'm an Animal Crossing fan, but not everybody is. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So next up, we have user James Kirk on Moby Games, who is not in love with Animal Crossing. He says, well, the game is certainly interesting near the start of the game. Except for an excruciating long question sequence in the start of the game where you basically give a few simple answers that could have just been answered by a menu. Then, there seems to be so much to see, get, visit, and earn. After a few days, though, it gets old and you lose interest. Who thinks it's fun to just run around delivering different crap to lame-looking animal things? Conversations seem to go on and on forever, wasting time with pointless and amazingly lame jokes. Maybe you think it's great to wander around a small town digging up random crap like dinosaur bones, but I don't. The items you can get in this game are all, except for a few exceptions, just ornaments. They don't do anything, unlike The Sims, where an item is actually useful. Also, your character is too generic. No stats at all, unlike The Sims, which makes you feel like you have the same guy you started with three days ago. All in all, I can't say that I recommend it, unless you have bought every other game and are bored with those. 
So, so this guy didn't like the fact that there wasn't stats because, like, we taught we did an episode on The Sims a while ago, and The Sims you have like intelligence and fitness and stuff like that, and your character gets better at things as time goes along. There's there's nothing like that in this game whatsoever. Really, the only feedback loop you get in this game is paying off your debt. It has it has nothing. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I yeah yeah. Well, well, which is it? Do you do you feel like you like the game, like the you know the critics talking about, or do you agree with James Kirk? Like, are you is it boring? Like, where do you stand? It's a mix of fifty fifty. I mean, there are definitely moods where I do enjoy playing it, but then there are the moods where I just get tired of the repetition. I mean, I put 40 hours into the game and haven't really had much desire to pick it up because I haven't felt like doing those. But I mean, when sitting at home and all I really did was sit at a computer all day, getting off of it and going to play animal crossing was nice, you know? Yeah. Very Um, true. But then again, I do also know people who I know one person who has almost 500 hours into the new horizons. So, I mean, obviously it's definitely got appeal to some, you know, and I mean, it is a great game. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's not, it's just that I myself like the more action packed games where I have more to do or more a quest line, so to speak. So that that's just more what I play, but also because I do those with friends and we kind of have a little competition between each other because that's just the way we are. So games like this where there's not really competition, while not unfun, just don't have the same pull, you know? Right. Very true. How about well, yourself? Oh, I, 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 I mean, any game gets boring after a while, but I've 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 put more hours than I care to admit in most of the Animal Crossing games. There's just something about the feedback loop for me of, you know, paying off debt and then filling up my museum that just keeps me coming back. Um, I don't play New Horizons a lot. I probably could have played it more, but I still pick it up periodically just to see what's going on. You know what I mean? Right. So, well, James Kirk isn't the only one who's not in love with Animal Crossing. So I pulled you I pulled you another review that really amused me. So why don't you read us this last one here? All right. So last up, we have Akron Blade on Metacritic, who only gave Animal Crossing a four out of ten. He says, I bought this game in the advice of a friend who just raved about how great the game was. And well, we usually like the same games. This, however was not one of them. The game is basically like The Sims to a point, except it feels like it was made for a five-year-old. I did give the game a chance and played for about 15 hours. All I did was get more and more bored of what I was doing, which wasn't much because there isn't much to do in this game. I mean, unless your idea of fun is collecting dinosaur bones, fish, butterflies, and doing delivery quests, as well as collecting clothes and making your house better looking, there is no fun gameplay at all. I wanted so bad to take that shovel and beat the other animals to death with it, but it wouldn't let me. All I could do is send them threatening letters, in which their only reply was that I couldn't understand your letter. I don't understand what's hard to understand when you tell them to go die, you jerky shithead moose. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, that's, that was something that was said. Wrap apparently. it up. Wrap it up. Uh, this game is different. I'll give it that. But it's made for a very certain type of person, and I... I'm not that person. <laughs> Obviously, he's not that person. <laughs> oh, man. Die, you jerky shithead moose. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 
Um, yeah, I, clearly he did like it. He He's on that other end of the spectrum, the Twitch game spectrum. I wanted so bad to take that shovel and beat the other animals to death with it. Excuse me? <laughs> Sir, I think you have some personal problems and need to go see a therapist. Boy, you need Jesus. That's what it is. He needs Jesus. Ugh. Yeah. Absolutely. That's soul. I know. I know. Well, that's Animal Crossing. I, I, I don't know. It's a lot of fun. I really enjoy them. I think that there are times when we are all in the mood to play those Twitch games. You know, the Dooms and the Halos and the you know, action games like Devil May Cry of the World. And then there are times when you just like to not have to pay attention to what you're doing, where you can just zone out and escape into a relaxing, I don't know, world per se, and just play a game. And Animal Crossing, any of them, is fits that void. It's the type of game that you could just dive into, not have to think about it, talk to your villagers, catch some bugs, could do some fishing, and, and call it a day. And last year during the pandemic, there were millions, you know, five, more than 5 million people across the world who did that. And we were all playing it together, putting more hours, you know, that we care to admit into a tropical island Animal Crossing. Because, I mean, we were on lockdown and a tropical island was way better than where most of us were. <laughs> unless unless you got the lockdown on a tropical island, that might have been kind of fun, eh? Oh, yeah, that would be pretty fun. So, yeah, so that's Animal Crossing. I think that's about everything I have about it for today. Anything that you would like to add or ask or something I may have forgotten in in my research? Um, I don't think you missed anything because you did the research, but I will say that <laughs> even though I may not give it the raving reviews that Dave will, it is still a game that you got to give a try and see if it's your cup of tea. You might find that it's not. You might find that it's one of those games you pick up in a very large spell of boredom. But it's definitely worth playing because it was developed by a great team and they did do a pretty damn good job at this game. I'm Do do you know a lot of people who play Animal Crossing? Oh, yeah. I know quite a few. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, it's obviously some people's cup of tea, right? Oh, absolutely. For some people, that's what they like. They don't like the challenging games, which I mean, nothing wrong with that. Some people want to just relax when they play games and not get heated. But I don't know something about that heat. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Well, with that being said, I think that's all I have to say about Animal Crossing for today. You know, a lot of people compare this game to The Sims. Uh, We did a Sims episode in the past where we talked about... uh, we talked about architectural concepts upon which The Sims was based on. It was a really fascinating episode. And if you'd like to learn more about this genre, this type of genre, and kind of go back to to learn about The Sims after listening to this episode, you can find that episode on our website at www.memorycardlane.com. Also on memorycardlane.com, you can find a calendar, which, which will show you what topics we're going to be talking about in the next few months of our episodes and in each of them there's a link you can click on to send us an email with your own reviews comments concerns questions anything about those games that you would like us to read on the air you can click and submit to us and we will certainly be more happy to do so you can find a link to our discord if you would like to join us to play games or talk uh, just be part of the community 
We've had a bunch of new people join us recently. So welcome to all the newbies on the Discord. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, you can also find a link to our Patreon uh, where you can support our fledgling. I say fledgling, but we've been doing pretty good. I just like being self-depreciating. Um, but you can join it. You can find a link to our Patreon where you can financially support this podcast. If you like to help us help us out a little bit, that would be nice. And then lastly, you can find a link to all of our social media. I am on uh, I am on Twitter. I'm also on Twitch, but I never use it. But so my Twitch link is on uh, on the website because someone asked about it the other day. Uh, maybe one day I'll stream, but right now I kind of just kind of keep up with this. But either or, you can find me on both as David is wrong. David underscore is underscore wrong. David is wrong. I'm always wrong. That's how you remember. That's my Twitter and Twitch plug. Uh, Rob, what about you? What are you doing on social media? I can be found on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P. That's you. Whatever is the game of the moment. That's right. What is the game of the moment? What do you think you're going to play in the next week? Hmm. Well, we got to get Diablo done. Yeah, we got we got to we've been we've been bumping our head against Diablo one since our episode. And I'm excuse me. I'm so ready to move on to Diablo two. So. Well, almost there, Dave. Almost there. Definitely almost there. I'm excited. Uh, all right. Well, uh, this is about the point uh, where we do our episode wrap up. As we said at the beginning of the episode, each week we like to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world and its inspiration, or what it gave back to it in its legacy. Uh, we go around roundtable each week and we talk about uh, what we learned we talk about what we learned. So I will start with you, Rob. What is your big takeaway from this week? I would have to say that the translation for the game was Animal Forest and not Crossing. That's weird how it became Crossing. Yeah. Yeah, there's really no story behind it. It just translates literally originally to Animal Forest. And then when they brought it over, they just Animal Crossing kind of rolled off the tongue better. So I wish there was a fun, fun little anecdote for that. But they just Animal Crossing. I I, I mean, it it sounds so I mean, it's what we're used to now. You know what I mean? Yeah, just definitely weird. Yeah, well, I mean, Animal Forest, we've never heard of. You know what I mean? True. So so I agree about yourself. Um, I, I honestly didn't know that there were three versions of the game in Japan. I had completely forgotten that really, I didn't know that there was an N64 version because we didn't get this till GameCube and I never really paid much attention to the beginning of the series. So to learn that this was originally an N64 and then also a GameCube and then also another GameCube version with all the American content was kind of cool. Oh, we didn't talk about that. Uh, so this game's played in real time and you celebrate holidays and stuff, right? Yes. Yeah, so that's another fun concept. I completely forgot about that. We we talked about Persistent Village, but we didn't talk about it playing in real time. So I'll cover that for a, a minute real quick. This game plays in real time. And, and on actual holidays, you celebrate holidays. So one of the fun parts was always signing in on Christmas or uh, Thanksgiving or one of the other American holidays and celebrating holidays with your village because you could get... Uh, special items and stuff on those holidays. And that's a trait that still comes over to the game to this day, right? Right. There you go. That's another thing. So you learned about the title. I learned about the three versions originally, and that's what we have. So that'll do it for Animal Crossing. Uh, Before I take it out of here, is there anything else that you would like to add or say to our audience? 
As always, I just want to take a moment to say thank you for what means the world to us. And for as long as we plan on doing this, we hope you continue to enjoy our content. But let us know because we love hearing from you. That is so true. I, well, I mean, we like hearing from some of you. There, Some of you are dicks. For, no, I'm just <laughs> There's people that suck out there. Luckily, we haven't had any yet. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe we're not big enough yet to have hate. Uh, you really only get hate when you're big. You know what I mean? Yeah, that. Well, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily agree to that. Okay, well, no hate yet. So, all right. Well, guys, next week we're going to take a look at a game that was originally conceived as a small side project that was going to tide Halo fans over until their next adventure with the Master Chief. This game, Halo 3 ODST, or Orbital Drop Shot, Drop Shock Troopers, isn't that what it is? Um, Halo 3 ODST eventually became a full-size game and one of the more unique titles in the Halo franchise. It was originally released in September of 2009. Uh, ODST was an unexpected hit, and it honestly, it, it, was, it, it showcased the Halo universe in a way that was never seen before uh, because it took us out of Master Chief. It, it told us a story that was, that was different, from many of the other Halo titles we had ever seen. And because of this, it's a very important game in the Halo franchise. Uh, we're going to talk all about that different perspective. We're going to talk all about the game uh, and what that meant for Halo at the time and what that means for Halo now. So if you're a Halo fan, going to be a lot of Halo talk next week, right, Rob? Absolutely. Yeah, Halo fan? Uh, I played the game a time or 17 billion. Yeah. Uh, have you played ODST, though? Uh, I sure have. There you go. Well, that makes one of us. So I actually have to go play this nice. to prepare. my. I know, right? I don't know why, but I missed this game in the series. So, you know, guess we know what Dave's going to be playing this week. Uh, yeah, good guess. <laughs> yeah, good guess. All right, guys. Well, we hope to see you again next week. We're going to talk a Halo 3 ODST. And so I hope you'll join us again next week as we drop into another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Do do ba 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 do wa. Do 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 ba ba boo wa.